Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Yes, indeed, there is a war for your soul. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this very beautiful day, that you are an awesome God, and you are able to keep all things in order. We give you praise, and we ask that your will be done, O God, on earth, in and through us this day, as it's being done in heaven. I ask, Father God, that you give each one of our listeners eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand what you are saying to them through your spirit We thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross, for for paying the price uh, for our salvation yourself and for giving us that gift of grace. We thank you, Lord, for giving us power over all the power of the enemy, that nothing shall by any means hurt us. Thank you for giving us the power to bind, to loose, and to forgive. Father, we thank you for giving us revelation. Jesus, it's the revelation that you give us through your spirit that is leading us into all truth, causing us to grow up and know who you are, who we are, and what's going on. So I thank you today, Father, for the promise that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that no word said, no deed done, no action taken will be able to be used by the enemy to bring forth any shame, trouble, or reproach. I thank you for covering our families, those who work for us, pray for us, and love us with your protection in our health and safety and our traveling, our vehicles, our finances, our property, the work of our hands, the fruit of our labors. And Father God, thank you for Dr. Michael Lake. I pray that you would protect him and and cause both of us to speak today as the oracles of God, to be anointed, to hear, to know exactly what it is you want us to to speak about where there's such a number of subjects and jesus christ we declare you are the faithful witness so declare to us the testimony of your truth in jesus name amen welcome dr michael lake thank you for joining us today you are uh this is just a total blessing from god that you are going to be with us in the next couple of weeks so can you tell us a little bit about yourself i I'll tell you how I know about you. The first time I met you was through the television, through uh, Tom Horn and uh, Skywatch Television. You were one of his first guests, and uh, I was so impressed with how you were so articulate and able to understand and, and kind of put caps encapsulate so much stuff in very simple, understandable terms, and yet you're a Bible scholar. So, Dr. Michael Lake, tell us a little bit more about who you are. Well, I, I, I tell people I tend to be kind of a, a theological mutt. I'm Bapticostal with a twist of Hebraic heritage. Uh, <laughs> Ouch. Well, didn't I call you the um, a forensic uh, theologian or something? I think in one of our emails. You kind of ferret out the truth. So. Yeah, that's, that's, that's my desire is to, uh, I have always uh, enjoyed digging deep into the Word of God. And what I have found about the Word uh, so many people just take a super, you know, superfluous, uh, mm-hmm. just going over the top of the word, but actually it's, it's created to be a gold mine. You got to dig down deep, uh, to oh, find yeah. the really good stuff. And, uh, yeah. that's what we teach students to do at Biblical Life College and Seminary is to dig deep in the Word of God, uh, because that's where you're going to find the nuggets of truth to really help those that you minister to. And, and from what I've seen in, in your ministry, you guys are doing the same thing. You've learned to dig deep. Because in, in a deeper understanding is where the revolutionary knowledge is in the Word of God to transform and discover the uh, the tactics of the enemy. And oh, yeah. 
Yeah, that's great. And you mentioned, and I don't want to spend a lot of time, but you do have a school, the biblical, uh, was it the Bi- biblical school of your Yeah, biblical college and seminary. Okay. And, the, and one of the reasons we called it that years ago, it used to be evangelical theological seminary, but God began putting on our heart, let's, let's just go ahead and have our name represent our mission, and that is for people to have a biblical life. Uh-huh. And uh, for those that are in a, it's a non-traditional seminary, you study right where you are. We have uh, students in all 50 states and in about 19 foreign countries right now. Wow. And uh, for those that so, are interested, that's yeah. biblical-life.com. Biblical-life-.com. So, yeah, we'll probably, yeah, bibl- you know. We'll probably give that again at the end of the show. And by the way, for those of you who are listening, if you want to call in and talk with us or have a question, uh, this is the time to do it. Uh, 347-215-8051. That's 347-215-8051. We are live right now. So, um, Dr. Lake, you have written a very interesting book. And that was, uh, I first was introduced to your book at uh, on Tom Horn's program, and it's called The Shinar Directive, and uh, the subtitle is Preparing the Way for the Son of Perdition. Sounds crazy interesting to me. What in the wor- world is the Shinar Directive? Can you kind of help us out here? What is you know, the Shinar you, Directive? When, when you look at the world today, there's there's stuff going on behind the scenes that has been really going on for millennia. And it's all encoded into the Word of God. There, there was a plot that was established in the plains of Shinar by Nimrod mm-hmm. that uh, although God interrupted it when he you know decimated the Tower of Babel and, and confused her languages, mm-hmm. but it didn't stop there. And when we realized that every esoteric society on the planet, no matter what they're called, mm-hmm. are all engaged in um, bringing about that which was deposited by Lucifer into Nimrod's heart mm-hmm. at the Tower of Babel to draw men away from God, and to set up something that would eventually lead them into Luciferianism. That mm-hmm. when we understand that, all of a sudden, world history and the world makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, so this Nimrod, you know, to me, he seems like a kind of a minor character. The Tower of Babel is like maybe I don't know a couple of passages, kind of a in passing kind of thing, and yet you're saying that he is a major player in the uh the plot of Satan to uh, what rule ruin the world uh can you talk a little bit more about Nimrod and and is he um the son of perdition that you're talking about or who is that I I think he was the, the son of perdition 2.0 that when uh, okay. there's there's some very interesting things now you know of course we have uh, before Nimrod, we have the Genesis 6, where the corruption of mankind and all this. But when you mm-hmm. begin taking apart the Hebrew, because you need to understand from Ham's line, and Ham was one yeah. of the sons of Noah, uh, from his yeah. line, all of esotericism begins to flow that uh, two of his grandsons, one, uh, Cush, worked with Nimrod for the founding of Babylon. He all, Cush was also involved uh, in helping Mizraim, his brother, establish Egypt. So all of that basically flows through one line. But when you look in, in uh, Genesis uh, 10 and 8, it said that, you know, Nimrod became a mighty hunter before the Lord, and, and he, he began sh- and he became to be a mighty man. When mm-hmm. you really look at that in the Hebrew, mm-hmm. what's interesting is uh, there, there's two very interesting words. One of where it talks about he became is yeah. halal in Hebrew, which halal? means that he... 
profaned, yeah, he profaned himself. Uh, for those that are listening, if you like to dig into uh, Strong's, it's uh, Hebrew Strong's number 2490. And it, it means to defile, to pollute, to desecrate, to begin to corrupt, both and to include ritually and sexually. Uh, then it also, uh, when, when you begin digging a little deeper in the word, I can actually see kind of traces of even the future Antichrist because mm-hmm. it means to wound, to bore through, to pierce through. Mm-hmm. And then it also has to do with playing a flute, which maybe connects to the, to the, to the demonic god Pan. And uh, just in that one word, he, he did something that he corrupted himself that may have wounded his DNA from God's point of view. Mm-hmm. And I even believe that part of the future maybe of helping uh, bring birth to the Antichrist and being able to pollute the DNA once again may have to do with some type of harmonics. All of that is included in this word where it said that he became. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> wow. That's a lot. Now, what is this harmonics you're talking about? I, I'm i sorry to interrupt I, I, you, but I, that's... Yeah, that that's kind of a new theory that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, studying out and, and working through. With with the flood, you know, before the flood, it was really easy for the watchers and for man because the the book of uh, of I think it's the book of Jubilees talks mm-hmm. about how that the angels taught them how to blend species, so that yeah. you ended up with chimeras. But mm-hmm. with the flood, something happened that God when when God broke the canopy, not only did man stop living to be almost a thousand years old, he went to 120, and mm-hmm. but something else happened that there was a a change in the physiology of man that made it harder for them to produce Nephilim or giants again. Wow. And in fact, further away you get from the flood, the littler the giants get. The mm-hmm. the original ones, the one the ones that are are, are the, the true Nephilim, which were the first round direct descendants of the fallen angels of the Watchers, uh, the, the book of Enoch, I believe it is, says that they were about 100 or 480 feet tall. The mm-hmm. Greeks called wow. them Titans. And so by the time you get to David... Goliath is a midget. Yeah, he is, really. But we call him a giant. But he's, what, what, 9 to 12 feet tall, maybe? Yeah, he was a midget compared to what was being produced before the flood. And so so God did something so that it would become harder. In fact, I believe that a lot of what we call UFO abductions and everything are actually servants of the Watchers. And what they're mm-hmm. trying to do, because they, they always begin testing, you know, uh, the sexuality and reproduction and, and hybridization. And I think what they're trying to figure out is how to overcome what God oh, did at the flood. Really? I never I never heard that theory before, but that really makes sense because why aren't there, why didn't Satan just, I mean, I know he locked up the watchers and stuff like that, but they're basically loosed again. So why wouldn't they start producing all these giants again? But you're, you're very, so you call that harmonics, huh? So I, I well, they're, they're finding out that within DNA, I was listening to, um, Oh, what's his name? Um, oh, I, it, it, I just, I hate that. No, I just haven't <laughs> okay. seen But, but he was sharing how that Harvard, uh, there was a study at Harvard University where they have discovered that there is basically an antenna array built around our DNA. A te- an antenna? Uh, yeah, there's basically little antennae all around the helix. And they and they speculate us to pick up cosmic vibrations. Well, what it is is we have been wired from our DNA on up to be tuned into God. Yes. But with yes. the fall of and we're tuned into Lucifer instead. But I, I have kind of wondered if all creation 
is a, a result of harmonics. God spoke, yeah. and there was power behind that, the harmonic of the releasing. Uh, yeah, we even find vibration. this in mm-hmm. string theory that you go down to the smallest element, the quark, that there is there is a filament that still resonates inside of all creation. I think it resonates with the voice of God. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Well, you know, in, in the book I wrote, I, I pulled a, a couple of things like that. Uh, chords and sounds and vibrations and frequencies in the book uh, Cravings, talking about addictions and how it's impossible to manage your frequencies. So how are you going to? And and but you're right. The voice of God is a vibration, and God spoke. And I truly believe there is an element of everybody that still resonates with the truth of whatever that quark might be. But that's a very interesting theory that God put some. Are you saying He put some protective covering? over the DNA so that it cannot be tampered with as easily. However, um, it seems like there's... Yeah, they're working on overcoming that, and they're trying to... That's right. And and so now you have man working with all the technology that we have today uh, in conjunction with with the Watcher's agenda, with transhumanism, to uh, technologically overcome. Now, what is transhumanism? What's that? Transhumanism is a major movement... Uh, in industrial societies for the, you know, when you, when you buy the thing of evolution, mm-hmm. and so we're we're becoming, we're, and it's always going back to Genesis 3, we're trying to work toward Godhood. And yeah, so now all, all the major uh, universities and, and industrialized nations are working toward human 2.0. They, they're not satisfied uh, with God's design for man because they're thinking that we're moving too slowly toward godhood in fact they're saying they're looking for that missing knowledge that was promised them at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil oh. so that they can they can and i mean they're they're wanting to uh part of it right now and, and it, it's actually called the new uh arms race is mm-hmm. every industrialized nation is working toward the super soldier and uh they're, they're wanting to create these Raphaim again these these super soldiers that uh, not only will have strength and endurance beyond our comprehension, uh, but there's actually, with DARPA, there's a project to where they're trying to create within our soldiers a hive mind so that mm-hmm. you can have a guy somewhere basically operating a joystick and, and can actually take this squad and, mm-hmm. and move them and whatever they need to do, and the guys won't get tired, nor will they regret murder, you know? Oh, because wow. I mean, when you know, I'm I'm a I'm ex-military, and if you ever have to take a life that weighs on you, even if it's to save a life, mm-hmm. and so they're they're trying to they can flip a switch and turn off any hesitation in pulling the trigger, mm-hmm. and so there's, there's yeah. a lot of scary stuff that they have planned a part of this, and I mean sometimes you know God uses the comic strips to to prophesy to us, because you know you may end up yeah. with Captain America, but you always end up with a red skull too, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of the foretelling, it seems like. And this seems to be part of the deal. Uh, it's a little bit of a segue, but the devil always has to let us know ahead of time what he's doing, whether he reveals it through a movie or a comic strip or a, a scene in the, in the movie or something, or a commercial like through a Super Bowl or something, because I really believe the reason for that, this is my theory, but opinion, whatever, is that because everything between God and Satan in regard to human beings works with the agreement we have to come into an agreement with the lie before the lie is permitted to act or activate and because many of these agreements that we're making are simply passive agreements or implied consent we don't even it's out there we don't do anything about it the bible says submit to god resist the devil 
But because a lot of people are so passive, they just say, oh, this is beyond me. This isn't, they don't even see it really. I mean, it's like well, in they, plain they view. And what's interesting in, in the conversation that uh, Chaplain Lindsey Williams had, because he got it set up where he it was actually befriended by some of the elite with the Alaska pipeline. Oh, yeah, That yeah, he yeah. said that they actually have a code of ethics that they'll, they will leak uh, through a movie or through a book yeah. or something. Plans now it's hidden because they always use esoteric uh, symbolism that it's, you know, hidden in plain sight. But yeah. they always do that. And mm-hmm. so I, I think that they're actually doing it in the movies, you know, and, and me yeah. being the typical guy, I like action movies. But I, <laughs> I, I saw the, the epitome of, of where transhumanism is heading. Uh, mm-hmm. In the second remake of The Hulk, uh, there's oh. a scene where the guy's trying to cure him, and they invoke a, uh, you know, an episode where he's turning into a Hulk or basically turning into like a, a, a giant. Uh-huh. And the guy gets mesmerized at him. And then later on, just a few minutes later, he says, you know, it was almost God-like. Oh. Well, you see, and, so, I, I, and that that mixes the fantasy world, uh, and that's fables, fantasies, uh, magic, all the everything. I mean, even this is so all-encompassing, this uh, brainwashing, plotting, and the activity underneath it, pulling people in to, you know, even as uh, useful idiots or whatever, to just get people to go ahead with this activity of, the old Nimrod and what you're saying is the end of the, the end of the age or, you know, uh, what do you want to call it? The mystery Babylon re, re, re reappearing or something. Can you tell yeah, us a little bit about that, about mystery Babylon? And, and you, you said earlier, um, not today, but I heard you on the very first things I ever heard you say, Dr. Lake was that, um, history is either, you either see it as an accident or a conspiracy. Can you kind of elaborate on that? And I think you already are, but can you kind of um, give us a, a look at that? Yeah, one of the things that got my attention, I was reading a book by Dr. Ralph Epperson, who has a Ph.D. in, in history, and, and he wrote several books to include uh, uh, The Unseen Hand. And uh, One of the things he shared in that book is there are only two positions when we view history. Mm-hmm. One is accidental history which means that everything that happens in history is by accident. It's simply mm-hmm. by accident that, uh, that you know, Ferdinand was, was killed before World War II, but yet it escalated, in, or World War I, but it escalated into World War I. Or, mm-hmm. or we see something happen in the Middle East that sweeps across America and explodes in Japan, that, mm-hmm. that all of that is just mere accidents. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, that's one viable, if you will, understanding of, of history. It's a very, um, uh, well, naive. Commonly, commonly uh, held, yeah, naive too. Yeah. Naive, and in fact, when you really start thinking about it, the ones who believe in accidental history should be the ones wearing the tin foil on their heads. Yeah. Uh, but, but the other, <laughs> what does that mean? Oh, oh, stop. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're getting too deep now. There's, I see people with tin foil, but I know a lot of people don't know what that's supposed to do. Can you give us a little aside the tinfoil people. Well, okay, they're well, what? The, the, minute, the minute that you start talking about conspiratorial history, the knee-jerk response is they're saying, "Well, you're wearing a tinfoil hat," mm-hmm. and I don't know if that is to keep the brain waves out or, or whatever. But <laughs> it, has become, it has become synonymous with those that you know you're off. There, there's something really unstable about you because you believe in conspiratorial history. Right now, with 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 a military background, and that I wasn't, you know, I was an admin, but. Um, because I got positioned where I worked anywhere from a for a two star general down to a colonel, 
the whole time I was in the military, I got to set in and on, and and kind of help with the presentations whenever they did intelligence briefings, that kind of thing. So I was able to really discover that the Game of Thrones, and this has been all the way back since Babylon, is that you have one nation plotting and scheming against mm-hmm. another. They have mm-hmm. a conspiracy. And at the same time, they they they'll do mis you know misinformation to keep right. the enemy off base. Uh-huh. And at the same time, they're trying to discover what the enemy's trying to do. Right. And so, really, the whole world operates on constant conspiracies. Right. Uh, whether you're dealing with nation to nation or the esoteric societies with their plots, it it all functions that way. And that's one of the things that uh, Dr. Epperson brings in his book is that when you put into play conspiratorial history history makes sense right it really starts to line up yeah it kind of reminds me of that one line you used in your book um plans within plans within plans and it's like you said there's uh everybody's trying to figure out what everybody else is doing they've all got plans and plots and uh you know to um i don't know just but at the same time uh and the hegelian kind of dialect is working because there is some elite controller at the at the head of this thing that is setting up all this division this uh, antagonistic uh b- warlike behavior we don't wrestle the bible says flesh against flesh but it sure feels like it and so the conspiracies uh i think what happens do you think maybe that because it's so overwhelming that people just don't even want to deal with it they just want to you know just live my life you know uh, mind my own business you know, is that kind of the approach a lot of people are taking? Because conspiracy is scary. What do you say? It's scary, but, you know, eventually you're going to have to open up your eyes and, and deal with reality. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It, it's very biblical. The, the kingdom of darkness is conspiring against you. Psalms chapter 2, why do the heathen rage and, and all the kings of the earth imagine a vain thing? They're conspiring against Messiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, that's and so true. That's true. Uh, you know the wiles of the devil are a conspiracy. He has this whole plan of what mm-hmm. he wants to do in your life to render you inert in the kingdom mm-hmm. of God. It, and if, you know this. He, go ahead. It, 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 I, you know it's not only in the world that he's trying to take over, but he's actually trying to take over the kingdom within us. Just to comment on what you're saying. Um, yeah, keep going. But I just wanted to say that it's within yeah, as well. If, if he can't, you, you know, the devil can't give you anything. He, he, what he can do is he can usurp the giftings that God placed within you and use them for mm-hmm. his own nefarious means. And mm-hmm. so he has two plans. Either he's going to wound you and convince you of lies and plant mm-hmm. all these things into your life so that he can usurp the giftings that God put in you to use for his kingdom. Or mm-hmm. he, if he can't do that, his plan number two, plan B, is to render you inert in yep. the kingdom of God so that you don't actually accomplish anything for the kingdom of God your entire life. Yes, and I really believe that that is kind of exactly where he's taken the church to, because if you look at the the purposes of the church, it is to, um, as we were talking just a little bit earlier, is to uh, present, you know, Christ, the full, you know, speaking the truth in love that they may grow up. And, uh, um, you know, here I'll read this, um, let's see, in Ephesians chapter 4, no longer children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body, listen to this, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, 
according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Um, I think that's going to have to be next week's topic somewhat. But the thing is that we are so inert. We are so shut down. We're so programmed. We're so at war even within our own selves. And then you put that mess into the hot mess of the war, you know, uh, of nations and the conspiracies. And what in the world is God thinking that we're going to be able to get along with each other, do the right thing, make choices, live in reality, and um, ex- and, and and look for the return of Jesus Christ? I mean, it's like God has got a lot of confidence in Himself. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Can you comment well, uh, on? I... Go ahead. <laughs> No, go ahead and finish your question. Then I'll, no, I'll that, get to I was just going to say, can you comment on that? I mean, I mean, I think we need to go back to the the bigger picture of the Nimrod and the Watchers and all that stuff. Some people don't even get that part of it yet, or maybe like we're talking, they don't want to know because it's too scary. And it's and you just said they have to live in reality. Well, what's the benefit of living in reality if it just scares me, freaks me out? Number one, the the first step, you know, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. That When he was talking about knowing the truth, that means to abide in it. Mm-hmm. And that truth, that word truth in the Greek also means reality. I've come to bring, you know, the devil has given you a false reality that keeps you in bondage. And the whole purpose that Jesus came, you know, number one, to save our souls, you know, to, to, to give us the new birth. But once you get born again, now you have to start walking in and abiding in reality. If you don't, you might, you're, you're, it, it's like the children of Israel, you know, that God set them free. He sent Moses, Pharaoh said, get out of here. But what happens if you have this whole group says, no, you know, that's all we've known. I don't want to go into uh-huh. the unknown. Uh-huh. At least uh-huh. I know what to expect, so I'm just going to stay right here in Egypt. That's what a lot of Christians have done. Yeah. Is, is I, I, we, yeah. The yeah. Things are broken, but it, it's all internally that we mm-hmm. still have the slave mindset, and it's a whole yeah. lot easier to answer to the taskmasters that we know. Mm-hmm. And complain. And to be required to hear from God. And to blame. I mean, we can always blame our politicians. We can complain. We can do this. this. It kind of reminds me of, yeah, like you said, the children of Israel went out of Egypt, but they still had Egypt in their minds, in their hearts. That was their way of thinking, their mentality, their programming. And, you know, it's like a kid who lives growing up next to the rail yards or the railroad tracks. And if his parents don't teach him the reality of trains and the danger of trains and the kid doesn't want to know it, uh, that child is in, in, in greater danger by rejecting the reality of a locomotive that could, you know, come squashing his life than, than living in the fantasy of I like trains and et cetera. I think people are just exhausted. I think part of that's part of the programming is to cause them to become so, you know, inept well, and... Uh, they're exhausted because they won't get off the railroad tracks. You know, a lot of a lot of the prayer requests we have, basically, oh if you distilled it down, was please pray for me. I was hit by another train this week. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. That's yeah. the Lord. Get off the railroad tracks. <laughs> yes, I think and, that's and, a new yeah. blog. Maybe that's the name of a new book for you. <laughs> get off the railroad tracks. <laughs> because we don't realize, you know, when you start dealing with generational curses, yeah, and you know, yeah. this kind of goes back with to Nimrod and everything else too, but. Yeah. You know, we want to say a prayer. We want to go to Nehemiah chapter one. You know, Lord, forgive me of my sins and the sins of my fathers. Yada yada, and say, okay, now it's broke. No, that's that's one half of the formula. The other half yeah. is to renew your mind yeah. to the Word yeah. of God and demand yeah. it that you start doing the Word over the old programming. 
because right. old programs cannot be erased. It has to be overwritten. That's right. It has to be, well, actually deleted, I say, and then rewritten. as. But, you know, the thing that deletes the programming, it's so cool, is the blood of Jesus Christ. Because I remember listening to Sharon Gilbert at a conference uh, a time back, and she said, or maybe it wasn't her, maybe it was one of the other guys who were talking about DNA. Anyway, um, she's a good gal in DNA anyway. But uh, so that it's like the information is on a disk, and to get that bad information off the DNA, it has to be rewritten. And the blood of Jesus is new information, so it can rewrite or un- deprogram us from all of that, uh, you know, that seeing life as an accident, we're an accident, life evolves. That is like the most ridiculous position to take, that, that we are a product of evolution. I mean, you have to be a willful willfully ignorant to i mean even in a, a half brain would know that this is not an accident that trees grow up and uh seeds put get put in the ground and they grow and it's just there's no i mean we can't go waste our time with this obvious thing but going back to but the it, um it, go, go ahead. it goes into the sinar directive though the, the whole yeah. concept of mission is that I, th- I think it was introduced because the elite were waiting. I think, I think they have waited from the Tower of Babel. They knew that the Watchers were going to be uh, incarcerated for 70 generations, which puts them being released around 1900, and I think some, some mm-hmm. before that. Uh, and, in fact, the final four are released in the Book of Revelation because wow, they're angels. The final four. The only record of angels ever being bound in the earth of the Watchers. Yeah, that's true. So I, they, yeah. they introduced evolution and eugenics, to get us to buy into all this stuff. Now, they've taken it even further. They have mm-hmm. finally calculated there has not been enough time in the universe for man to evolve from a single-cell organism and oh. into the Homo sapien. And so now they've come up with panspermia, which puts us right into the hands of the watchers. Because what's they the, said what's alien, panspermia? What's that mean? Panspermia is a new idea with an evolution that, since it's impossible for us to have evolved, that... Oh. Aliens stopped by and seeded us oh, into yeah. the earth. Oh, that's right. I, I, yeah, I've heard that. You know, I, part of the great delusion is going to be the watchers are going to show back and say, "Call me daddy." You know, we're we're yeah. the ones yeah. that uh, we're the ones that seeded you into the earth, and now we're here to take you on to your next evolutionary step into godhood. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's so they have to keep changing the story constantly to. Uh, make all these things fit together because they're not. But going back to the the watchers, I mean, I, I know a lot of people do know the story of Genesis six. Uh, but one of the interesting things when the watchers were incar- incarcerated, by the way, they get to be called watchers because uh, they were had to watch their children destroy each other, the giants, the demigods, or whatever they were, their their offspring. As God said, they would only be able to live five hundred years on the earth, and then they would have to destroy themselves. And of course, this is in the books of Enoch and um, I think Joshers and Jubilee and of course a lot of your nominal little Christians are afraid to read those books because for whatever reason uh, they don't disagree at all with the gospel message at all but they do add a lot of detail uh, but anyway back to the what, what made me convinced that the watchers and I figured it out doing the math um, from the books of Genesis and how long people lived and when the, the giants came on the earth in the days of Jared and when they got locked up and blah 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 and I came out with about the year 19... Uh, yeah, about 1900 or 1917. But if you go back and look at, uh, uh, at 1850, 1850 to 1865, when uh, Darwin was doing his thing, 
And also that was about the time of the Civil War in America. And if you if you don't believe that the, the, the watchers or the technical demons, uh, whatever, uh, experts have returned, look at the difference as a military man. You'd probably appreciate this. Look at the difference in the weaponry that was used in the Civil War as opposed to World War One. That was only like a 50 or 60 year difference, maybe, you know, in, in time. And in the in the in uh, Civil War, we had horses and cannons and swords and and bayonets and um, uh, I don't even know. And guns, of course, rifles and things like that. But we did not have uh, tanks. And did we have sub- submarines in World War One? Help me out on this. We had yeah, planes. Was, right? A precursor to them were even during the Civil War. That okay. uh, there ones that didn't go completely under, but ninety percent of it was like under under the water, so they could uh, traverse the uh, the rivers. Uh-huh. But you know, um, but you're right. I think they were preparing uh, Darwinism. They were preparing the intellectual way for the people to uh, be dumbed down and accept this all this new uh, wicked, you know, excu- uh, excluding God from creation, et cetera. And then with the watchers, they must have anticipated they were coming because they were softening the people, you know, like you said, eugenics and stuff like that. So, um, well, you know, tell me, people don't know eugenics and, and evolution stem from the same family. That it was huh. it was a cousin of Darwin that introduced eugenics. So, what is eugenics both, for our people? What what is that? Selective breeding. Uh, that it's, mm-hmm. it's it's you know, in, in fact, it, what's crazy? It actually originated in America. Uh, we we had laws that you know if somebody was a criminal it's because they had criminal genetics and so we would force sterilize them and a lot of that went on in America. Uh, it was it on top of evolution and and even with what uh, Doug Woodward has written uh, in mm-hmm. Uncommon stuff where he talks about the spiritualism that exploded in America. It all ended up in Germany that fueled everything the Nazi movement was about. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? That, and so uh, it's trying to control our genetics to produce the next Superman or the or the Ubermensch, as, as Nietzsche would have called it. And they're basically trying to reinvent the the, uh, the Raphaim or the Nephilim again. So we have evolution on the one side saying we're, you know, through the survival of the fittest, we're accomplishing, we're going forward, we're making these great strides, you know, pretty soon we'll be uh, gods. And on the other side of that coin, they're saying, "Oh, it's we're gonna have to re, we're gonna have to breed them ourselves because now we can make this thing go faster and select people out and you know uh, sterilize certain people." And that is that promotes entitlement and elitism, uh, totally it, against it the word of God. And people never always never quote the full title of, of Darwin's book because it was uh, of, of favored races. And uh-huh. that's where Hitler and all of them got that the that the African you know that the the black race or mm-hmm. or the Asian race these other races were mm-hmm. were uh, were were not superior they were not as evolved as the white race and you know if I was in the black community and anybody brought up evolution I would have a sense of, of prejudice how dare mm-hmm. you bring that up because the very essence of that uh, mm-hmm. is what is dividing us and uh, I, I think we're going to enter into a time you know why why do we have uh, different uh, pigment on, on mm-hmm. for, for different human beings. Well, why do we have different colored flowers? God is mm-hmm. showing his creativity and that we need one another. We are mm-hmm. all the human race. We're yeah. all created in the 
image of God. Now, when, when the net, when the watchers show up, it may become more evident because we're actually going to have a new species actually introduced to the planet. But some of the things that are dividing us because because of the color of our skin is ridiculous. Well, of course it is, because but it's just the enemy trying to agitate us, set us up in opposition to each other, to ourselves, to lose that sense of unity, strength, blessing, love. I mean, it, it destroys love, really. And Satan hates love because love bears all things, believes all things, and love overcomes fear. And so um, this all this agitation, it's just it's just so many mind games, control games, everything on the news is basically the same, but... But, you know, yeah, going back to the um, this super race or the introduction of another species, can you talk a little bit more about what you think that is or what it's going to look like? Yeah, when when you read and it, it says that, you know, the, the, the sons of God, the B'nai Elohim came down and they and they took daughters of women uh, or, or daughters of men, that they begin to produce. And the, nep, the word Nephilim is actually used a couple of times in the Word of God, and that was the original uh, the giants that were 480 feet tall, but they also became to be notified, uh, known as mighty men. So any mm-hmm. any time in, in history, and that word there is gibberine, that they became known as gibberine, mm-hmm. that uh, that became synonymous with with the nephilim. That they were vicious, they were super intelligent, they could make war, uh, they they could they could fight and do all these heroic things. And so the so the you know, principle of first mention in the Word of God, the first time that Gibberim is mentioned, it's tied in with that's what the Nephilim became. And mm-hmm. then when you read what Nimrod did, it said he became to be a Gibberim. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he I, yep. was able to transmute himself to become something other than he was. How do you suppose he did that? I mean, is there any ideas? I mean, was it a tra- was it a gradual making of choices that caused him to become hardened in his heart? I mean, not that we need to really know, but... Or was it a deal uh, I, he made with the devil, or what? I, I think maybe either he had discovered some secret writings of the Watchers, because in, uh, I think it's the the book of Jasher, it talks about uh, actually another son of Noah that's not even mentioned in the Bible, that he discovers writings of the Watchers, and we don't know if it's that. But but why, you know, why in, in all esoteric societies is Nimrod their hero? Because yeah, he was able to do something that very possibly even the Watchers couldn't do. Uh, you see, the Watchers, I think, they, they did their genetic splicing, and you know they also reproduced in the old-fashioned way. And so that, it, that those those guys, when they when they were born, regular-sized babies, but the, the growth hormone never turned off, and they just kept growing. Mm-hmm. But he started out 100% human, and he corrupted his DNA to become something else. That's, that's actually the metaphor that alchemists use of turning lead into gold, and, and all the things that they're, they're after is how to transmute the human to become a gibberim like uh, like Nimrod did. And if there's any question of the idea of what was being put forth, when you go back to the, how the rabbis translated this into the Greek, which we call the Septuagint, which was you know common in Jesus' day and in Paul's day. In fact, Paul didn't preach to the, the Gentile church from the from Hebrew version of the Bible. He actually used the Septuagint because God in his wisdom knew what the Apostle Paul was going to do. Uh, mm-hmm. It actually translates it, Nimrod became a giant. Oh, okay. Well, that's and interesting. So he, he yeah. corrupted himself completely in what he did. Well, and inter- he became a giant. He started out a human being um, and, you know, actually had some pretty good DNA, I would imagine. Great-grandson of Noah, wasn't he? Great-grandson or whatever, one of them. Anyway, so, but the thing is, he did what the Watchers really probably wanted to do. I think, you know, bottom line, my theory here is this may be out 
uh, to lunch, but it's just my opinion. So the watchers were looking for two. They had to do two things once they were in trouble and they were in trouble from the very beginning. Once they rebelled against God, they had to find a way uh, to stop God's plan of salvation, find, you know, the head crusher who was going to come. So they're trying to mess up the DNA so they couldn't. So the bloodline of Jesus Christ, he wouldn't, you know, there wouldn't be pure human DNA left by the time Jesus got here. So he'd be part demon or part watcher. So he wouldn't be qualified to die on the cross. So that was one of their plots to stop the, um, the salvation redemption plan. But I think the other problem for the watchers, and this may sound really weird, but they, I think they were really feeling upset that they didn't, that they had lost their options to go to heaven, to ever be eternally with God. Um, And I think, The book of Enoch kind of gives a little bit of a look at that when they asked Enoch to go and petition God for them. And and, um, he was forbidden to do that and didn't do that, of course. But if they would see Nimrod as a hero who somehow started out human and became one of them or became a giant, could they reverse the process so that they could become human? Um, And I don't know. What do you think? Does that sound kind of weird? <laughs> well, I, I think there's, well, there's one of the things Dr. Tom Horn does in a lot of his writings. He goes back into a lot of esoteric writings where there's almost this this, this quest for incarnation, yeah. that they mm-hmm. want to create a human host. And that even goes back to the quandary of um, what Dr. Mark uh, Michael Heiser writes about, you know, the divine council. And people dismiss that being, you know, being these angelic or immortals. Uh, that are in heaven that God's judging because he says you're going to die like men. Well, mm-hmm. I think they achieve a level of incarnation so that God says you're going to die just like a man does because mm-hmm. that, that body is going to die. Uh, there, there's a lot encoded into the book of Revelation. Uh, some of it I'll, I'm actually putting together even after I've written this book and I'm kind of working on my next one. That mm-hmm. in the, the book of Revelation where there's a great war in heaven and Michael you know, throws mm-hmm. Lucifer out, out of heaven, and he draws one-third of the angels. Many many commentators say that's parenthetical. That happened at the fall of Lucifer. I don't think so. I think mm-hmm. that actually happens in the book of Revelation. And Lucifer's not thrown out of the third heaven. He's thrown out of the second heaven. Uh-huh. So that their ability to go between dimensional realities stops. And all these angels and all these beings that have fallen to Lucifer are thrown into our reality so that all the world can really see this is what you're following. Okay, so let me re-say that, see if I caught that. Because, uh, yeah, I know that a lot of people say, well, a third of the angels are already fallen, and that's the third, that's, that's it, there's no more. Um, but like you said, it's very possible that this is a war that's yet to happen because because of the thought that in Job it says the sons of God you know, Lucifer, or the devil, Satan, whatever, Mustama, whatever his name, was able to get up in front of God to talk to him about Job. So obviously he's going back and forth between the second heaven and the third heaven somehow. Is that correct? That's correct. Well, even the book of uh, Revelation where it talks about, uh, and, and the Apostle Paul also uses the same term, that he's like a prosecuting attorney, that mm. he makes accusations <laughs> against the saints, so he's, he's able to do that. Uh, I, I think where I'm differing with the, with, the, with the next book that I'm writing, too, I don't think they all fell at one time. I think yeah. that Lucifer fell in a certain amount, maybe of the divine council fell with him, and then the Nahesh that we see in Genesis 3 is not necessarily Lucifer. Uh, you can't imply that from the text. He is a seraphim. Uh, that, that word Nahesh later on became to mean serpent, but it, it was like a dragon or a phoenix that showed mm-hmm. up in, in the tree that promised this knowledge. 
And then we see the fall of the watchers. They fell later when they when they made this agreement on Mount Hermon. And what's interesting is not all the watchers fell. Mm-hmm. That in the book of Daniel, one of the reasons that Nebuchadnezzar right. was judged was because right. the watchers judged him. And in fact, I, I've run across some interesting research that and some documents from Babylon that Nimrod, uh, not Nimrod, Nebuchadnezzar claimed to have completely rebuilt the Tower of Babel into its splendor. And it was right after that that he was judged. And oh. then he lost his period of time. It's, insane. It so went insane. It's, a, it's a very interesting dynamic. Uh, even the Apostle Paul tells, you know, women, you need to have a spiritual covering for the sake of the angels, which he's referring back to Enoch. And so mm-hmm. we, we don't know if there's a progressive fall uh, over over the millennia of, of certain mm-hmm. angels. Mm-hmm. We do know by the time we get to the book of Revelation that mm-hmm. the, the total number of them is one-third. Okay, so this could be still in process. The angels could also being be tested, being tested, as are the humans, all through this duration simultaneously, as you're kind of saying, which is yeah. possible because otherwise, um, and you're right, how would Satan, the accuser of the brethren, keep getting up into the court of heaven constantly if he can't get, I mean, he's got to be, have some abilities to go back and forth. And so uh, he's in the second heaven, God's in the third heaven, they're going back and forth, and that Satan or his emissaries, the demons, also work on planet Earth so they can come into the first heaven, which is basically us. Is that correct? That's correct. And I, I think Mount Hermon is, is ground zero. You remember yeah. when Jesus, yeah. you know, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates yeah. of hell yeah. shall not prevail against yeah. it. And, and he was actually standing right in front of Mount Hermon where the watchers fell. There, I was, love there it. was a cave. There was a cave that the Greeks taught was the entrance to Hades. And then there was a grotto there to pan. So it, it's all this stuff. Also, Nimrod's fortress was on mm-hmm. top of Mount Hermon. Oh. And so Jesus. Jesus looks at all their plans, all their conspiracies of what they're doing, and he says, my church is going to overcome this. Now, that's what excites me. Well, you know, it's like you, and you look at the amount of stuff we got to overcome. That is a, whoa, that's pretty cool, you know. Yeah, yeah. it is. And what's, what's interesting, you know, as, as powerful as a watcher is and they're returning, once they get into our dimensional reality in the first heaven, uh-huh. We have authority. There's no place in the Word of God it tells us to go up into the second heaven and do war. I know that's, that's been right. very popular in spiritual warfare. That's hogwash. That will get you in trouble. You're poking the bear. That's when that's you pray. That's exactly say, what I say. <laughs> I don't want to poke no bears. Or, yeah. I agree. And we'll I agree. Christians have gotten into trouble with that. I mean, oh, there are yeah. many ministries about that that don't even exist today. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's your right. Pope giant and you got a stick and you and you woke this <laughs> this ancient ancient being and you and he put you in his crosshairs and he says what are you doing transversing my territory mm-hmm. but what we do Absolutely. is we pray and ask and ask the father please mm-hmm. war against this thing and send angels to war against this thing i'll hold the fort here in my first heaven but i don't care if it's if it's a watcher Manifests in this reality, he's got to bow his name, his knee to Jesus, That's and right. we have and a right to bind him. And we have a right to use yeah. the name of Jesus because it belongs to Jesus, and He's given us that authority and that privilege. You know, this is the only way: binding, loosing, and forgiving, canceling out agreements, and making declarations to the truth. These are the ways people have to use. These are all given in the Word: repentance, confession. Confession really means you're just um, canceling out the agreement you made with the sin, the lie that you just did, and repentance changed your mind, of course. Then the declaration of God is good. But this is what stabilized, this is what 
found is the foundation of this spiritual warfare that we're talking about. And you know, if this is very exciting, it, it's like I believe truth is progressive. So what you're really saying is that there's a lot of stuff out there, like you referred to the Book of Revelations, that you know, just a little snippet here, a little, a little poke out of the ground there, and all of a sudden things get changed around a little bit and um it adds more it's you know because everything has got to make sense in the end you can have watchers and devils going up into heaven and and then not going into heaven and blah 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 whatever i mean uh satan you, there's got to be some explanations and so but go can you go back a little bit to the nahesh the dragon the phoenix that was in the tree um are you saying that that was one of them that mutinied, but it wasn't necessarily Lucifer. Um, Lucifer was, you said, Lucifer was of the seraphim, did you say? Well, Lucifer was, he's called an anointed cherub that covers. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, Michael Heiser is also kind of under it, and when the the prophets start talking about cherubim and seraphim, they almost do interchangeably sometimes, and Mm -hmm. so it may be the, the particular manifestation uh, that they take because they they can change form. Although a, the chief thing of a seraphim, or a cherubim, is to guard what we see. And we're like there were cherubim set out to guard the entrance mm-hmm. to the garden. Uh, but a seraphim mm-hmm. uh, is really what this what this creature was because it also means a shining one. Now later on in in within Hebrew knowledge, it it it, it kind of morphed into you know a serpent. You know there wasn't a big snake. There was. Uh, in fact, Mark uh, Flynn does a wonderful job in, in his book on the Lambeth where he, he deals with basically where we get the, the concept of a phoenix mm-hmm. comes from the Nehesh, that this that this creature set, basically set this tree on fire, if you will, with, with this blaze of glory promising illumination. Oh, he set and the tree I, I of knowledge it, on, on, on yeah, fire? the tree of knowledge of evil. So it's his presence that this sets, that sets this tree ablaze with with this flame that that the ancients those in esoteric societies would have maybe called him Prometheus that brought the fire of God to men. Oh yeah. It's promising I'm gonna, I'm going to give you the secret sauce to get into godhood but what you got to do is you've got to align yourself with me instead of God. Mm-hmm. You got to begin drawing your knowledge from me and and the kingdom that I'm representing instead of your relationship with God. Mm-hmm. You know one of course the, we know the yeah. Eve said hey that sounds good to me course that's why they sinned because they wanted to be more like god and anybody who gets into the occult is always there's the desire to know more it's always bottom line reduces down to wanting to know more of what the forbidden the occultic the hidden knowledge uh to get whatever it is godness godliness and not godliness godlikeness or godhood or whatever but um so you know that kind of goes you know right along with what i i believe has been happening in the human race so um, so that's interesting, uh, that Nahash, the shining one. So it wasn't Lucifer also, um, the covering cherub, you know, in the, uh, you know, so didn't he have the, the gems and the beauty and all that stuff? And wasn't he like the worship leader of heaven? I, I think he was, cause there were, there were tablet, there were, you know, pipes and, and tablets built yeah. within him. Uh, what's interesting, and we forget this, number one, is he has an anointing. This is something the charismatic church needs to learn. Oh, is yeah. Every anointing is of God. Lucifer has an anointing. Yeah. He didn't lose it when he fell. It was perverted. And I mm-hmm. like to, in, in fact, I think that's when iniquity was found in him, is that he 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 did these five I wills. 
Yeah. And he actually created a false grace because five is the number of grace. He created mm-hmm. this false grace to try to transmute himself into, into a godlike creature. And instead, it, it transmuted his anointing to create a new force, and I call it the iniquity force. Okay, let's go over this again here. Hold on. This is good. Um, so it, it kind of I got a comment real quick and then go back to Jesse Penn Lewis 200 years ago in her book called by title The War on the Saints. The, the basic nugget of the book is that she said in the last days, the people who would be the most likely to be deceived are the people who are the most hungry for God. And it's the same with catching fish. The fish that's the most likely to get caught is the hungriest little fish. What are we hungry for? We're all hungry for God, more of God, the anointing. So the church, as you started to talk about, the church that we see operating today as what we call the church, is operating a lot of it under the false grace and false anointing. Now, that's true, yeah. because, they're, because, because when you look at it, the, the fruit of what they're doing, uh, what the, the manifestations of that supposed anointing, I call it the, the, the feathers and the gold dust and the, you know, ranting and raving. It doesn't look a whole lot different than what the demon, uh, what the humans that are following Satan are doing, except the church people have more clothes on. That's about it. <laughs> it, it really is. And, but what sets us up for that? Because we, we have to go back to the systemic thing that sets us up. Okay, we're hungry for God, but mm-hmm. we have rejected Mm-hmm. God's revelation of who he is, and we're trying to discover God mm-hmm. outside the bounds oh, of the goodness. Word of God. And I, I know I, th- I think the first step to that is to get us to reject the first two-third, two-thirds of the Bible. You know, the, the reason that God gave the Torah to Israel was so that they could reprogram their minds not to think like an Egyptian slave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so it's and, to and reject the concept of God. That's what Satan wants us to do, to reject. And so God, you're saying, revealed himself in the first two-thirds of the Bible through the Torah. Through the is Torah. Is that what you're saying? Because, yeah. because that's the basic definition of what God says. is Because he says, listen, I'm giving you the Torah. I'm giving you my commandments and my ways so mm-hmm. that you can discern what is good and evil, what you can, so that you can discern what is clean and unclean, what mm-hmm. is my kingdom and what is the devil's kingdom. You take that away from our, our modern Christianity, then it comes down to, well, well, I feel like this is sin, but I don't feel like this is sin. Right, well, right. You know, to be honest, mm-hmm. I don't care what you feel. Heaven yeah. doesn't care what you feel. It's what God has said. But here's, okay, so God is not changeable. He's, no, he's okay. unchangeable. And exactly. what he says is immutable. It's it immutable, unchangeable. Yeah. The cross did not change sin. It changed us. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Praise God. That's a good line. But the thing is, okay, but here's the problem. When we use human language, English language, any language, and Satan is giving new definitions or, or you know, like the word grace, for example. The word grace to me is precious because I, I get how much it costs God and what it really looks like, what it means, the sacrifice of Jesus, um, and how that Jesus is the law is, is completed in him and understanding that someone had to die, that the wages of sin is death, and you couldn't just give a fruit basket and, and atonement. You had to do the blood. Um, so to me, grace is... But here's my problem, and maybe you can help me with this. I want to defend grace. I want to defend the true definition of grace according to the holiness of God as I see him present himself righteous, both righteous, wrathful, just, merciful, 
in the Old Testament through the establishing of the church, through Jesus Christ uh, on the cross. And yet I have a hard time. How do you define the, the, the true grace, the right grace, as opposed to what everybody else thinks grace is? I mean, it's like Satan's muddied up the waters on grace so much and anointing those very precious words. Um, you know, what, how would you define real grace, the grace that's the, the God is, wants us to understand? And live in. Well, first of all, it, it's uniform in the Word of God. Now, here's one for you. When when you talk about Yahweh, okay, most Christians say, you know, God had an attitude in the Old Testament, and, and Yahweh's just mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but when when you actually begin to take take it apart, that you know, when when God was creating in in Genesis one and in Genesis two, while He was doing everything before man, He only mm-hmm. revealed Himself as Elohim. Mm-hmm. The moment that he begins to deal with man, he reveals himself as Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh represents the grace of God. Elohim mm-hmm. represents the justice of God, that when God created man, he created him in balance, grace, and, and, and judgment together. Mm-hmm. And when you actually take Yahweh, because each Hebrew letter means can, it was it was originally almost like a hieroglyphic type of thing before it, it you know it developed in, into more. Yahweh literally can be translated you know Yod Hey Vav Hey, the God with the nailed hand shall be revealed twice. Yahweh mm. is Jesus, mm-hmm. and, it, and it, even in Yahweh Elohim it represents the two times that Jesus is going to come back. The first time he came to show the mercy of God. The second time, which is Messiah Ben Joseph, the suffering servant. When he comes back, he's going to be Messiah Ben David, the conquering king. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, you know, God balances both. But grace of God has has been this. It's not only unmerited favor, but it's the ability of God to overcome sin. The ability you of know, God that, to overcome sin. But guess what? The devil's twisted the gospel around for us to have the ability to overcome sin. Yeah, and you know what is the gospel? The gospel is not being saved from hell. The gospel mm-hmm. is being saved from sin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God, God yeah. you know, Jesus to the cross to set you free from that sin nature and to and to decimate iniquity in your life and to establish a new kingdom and a new nature on the inside of you that does not want to violate the ways of God, but right. because of our love for him wants to do them. And God says, you know what? When you get to that place, my grace will excel in your behalf because then you will have a supernatural ability to do my ways in the in the earth, and you're you're going to want to do it from your spirit on out. Right. You know. But here's the problem, and I totally agree with you. But so many people in the church are under the false anointing, the the bad teachings, the mixing up the gospel is so counterfeited. They're mixing the gospel of grace with the gospel of self improvement and whatever, and 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 throwing law in there to beat people up and making them think wrong things about God. And so I love your definition. Grace is the ability of God to overcome sin himself. I mean, he overcame it through his love. Can I use that sometime if I need to, which I probably will use today before I finish my blog? Every (laughs) every thing that God gives me is because he gives it to me. It's not on my own. That is so. I should transcribe this whole program, although I'm probably going to have to listen to it again myself. I think we also need to re-understand law. Uh, law yeah. in its Hebraic context, Torah, means the loving instruction of a father. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so God was saying, 
here's uh, you know it, it 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 almost has the the imagery of a father taking a son and, and helping him hold the bow and the arrow so that when he shoots he can hit the standard or he can hit the mark. Mm-hmm. And only when it see a lot of times you know like like Dr. Koch says when you're translating the word. Uh, the mm-hmm. idioms and, and cultural things don't necessarily transfer into it. Mm-hmm. To the mm-hmm. Greek and to the Roman, law was oppressive, law was bad. To mm-hmm. a Jew, he danced because of the law, because oh. it, was, it was instruction to empower him and to help him be able to separate Babylon from the kingdom of God. And because we, we have extrapolated the prejudice of the Greek and Roman oppressive yeah. system, into our mm-hmm. understanding of the word. We actually make the Torah a bad thing, but Jesus mm-hmm. was the Torah made flesh. He's yeah. our example. The reason he, he was able to fulfill it, and that does not mean to fulfill like a contract. It means here's the full definition of it. If you want to find out how to walk in the commandments of God, I'm mm-hmm. going to live it. And, and mm-hmm. Jesus, Jesus' ministry was three and a half years long because the original uh, cycle of the Torah portion, where as given by Moses, because the only oh, time really? they could hear, where during the three, you know, the three feasts that the Levites would read it to him, was a mm-hmm. three and a half uh, pattern. Uh, only, uh, only mm-hmm. when they developed the synagogue under Ezra and Nehemiah in Babylon, where there were more mm-hmm. Torah scrolls, could they do it in a year. But originally it was three and a half years. So Jesus lived the Torah perfectly before all yeah. of Israel. For an entire original Torah portion, saying you, you rabbis don't get it. Let me. I'm, I'm just going to have to come down here, and I'm going to have to show you how to do it right because and you're says, missing. Yeah, he says today this is fulfilled in your in your hearing. You know, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. Blah blah blah. So that was the initiation or the inauguration of his ministry, actually. Um, you know, so that is. Um, so yeah. So so grace law. But the but the but the enemy, you know, here's another problem. The church these days, we've come up with these insidious doctrines like the depravity of man uh, and evolution. Of course, they're both they're both attacking the concept of who man is. And then you have all this uh, garbage that tears into the concept of who God is, of who, you know, so the devil doesn't want us to know who we are or who God is. But the thing is that with with this kind of counterfeiting of the gospel of Jesus Christ, grace, Torah, law. They're, the church, a lot of, you know, they don't put the devil back in the equation. Uh, and so I see so many people, you know, falling under de- what I call demonic judgments of guilt, shame, condemnation for breaking the law. And many of them are breaking the law that they have been told is God. And it's not. For example, um, I, I grew up Catholic and for all of you, don't be. I have a right to talk about it. I was a Catholic for the most of my first part of my life. Um, but one of the things, it's, it's work and will. You got to work it and will it. Want it, work harder. You know whatever. So in the beginning, it was like they, um, you know, they said, okay, you eat meat on Friday. It's a mortal sin. You're going to go to hell, right? And so I mean, that was what I grew up under. We never ate meat on Friday at all, ever. I mean, uh, and so then after I was about. 23 or 4 they had the council the Vatican council they changed the rule so now you could eat meat on Friday and I know all how many people you know were you know felt guilty and condemned mortal sin going to hell ate meat on Friday then I said to someone one day I said well you know now that they changed the rule do you suppose all those people that died in this mortal sin of eating meat on Friday which mortal sin means you go to hell did they let them go to heaven then 
did they release them from hell and, and whatever? Um, but the thing okay. is, a lot of people are under these rules that aren't God's rules at all. And they have, they make no sense except to those who want to control them. Um, and people don't understand that there's a spiritual activity going on here. Go ahead. No, they're, they're doctrines of men which are to make the word of God of none effect. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, so the law, you know, I see, and I see people who are, you know, in cults, you know, these religious cults who mix, who mix, you know, what do you say about this particular problem? I know it's a kind of a, well, we're at the end of the time, but we have more time. Uh, they, they take, they, they make a Christian believe that they must go back under the law of, you know, um, the feasts and all of that thing in the Old Testament. I mean, I respect that, those feasts. I love them. I think they're big marks, high marks on God's calendar for events that are going to happen and what they symbolize, how Jesus Christ is fulfilling them or did fulfill them. Um, but is it necessary for a believer to go back and to do the, May I, I may be using the word wrongly, but the Torah or the commandments of the Torah? What do you say about that? There's there's nothing to there's there's only a couple of sections in the New Testament that says that some of the Torah has been changed. One of them is in Ephesians where it talks about the uh, not only the handwriting of ordinance that was against us or the or, or violation of the Torah, but ordinances were changed. But mm-hmm. the ordinances only have to deal with blood sacrifice. It's a very mm-hmm. specific the Torah. Uh, mm-hmm. The Book of Hebrews also says that was changed because now you know it's, it's Jesus sacrifice. Mm-hmm. There's nothing in the Word of God that does away with many of, of, the, of the wisdom that God had in his Torah. Uh, what's mm-hmm. interesting is the Apostle Paul also says in, in 1 Corinthians, when you keep the feasts, mm-hmm. do it without having malice. Uh, all, all the feasts are about Jesus, mm-hmm. every single one of them. Mm-hmm. God, you know, God says, I'm going to tell you the end, the end from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at them and discover who Jesus is, uh, it, it not only helps us, it helps solidify within us because if if you don't do it out of rote, because I keep the feast, I, I also keep Sabbath because it was actually mm-hmm. the Roman Catholic Church that changed all that. It wasn't the Word of God. In mm-hmm. fact, uh, uh, Martin Luther came head to head with this. There was a, there was a strategic place in the Reformation that the the Catholic Church was about to implode on itself, mm-hmm. and so they held held this big council. And but this one Archbishop told the Pope, he says, "Don't worry, I got this. I got this." And so when they meet, he says, Martin Luther, you're a hypocrite. And Martin Luther said, why? And he said, you changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday, and we all know that the only authority that changed it was the authority of the Pope. And your your theme is sola scriptura, only scripture. You're a hypocrite. And that whole thing kind of imploded in on itself, and, and it, it was actually a, a, a strategic defeat for what the Reformation was trying to do. Because uh, the they Sabbath, kept the Sunday, they they stayed with the Sunday. Yeah, they stayed the Sunday Sabbath, and for me, guys, uh, the Sabbath is not what day you have church on. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. Sabbath is Friday night to Saturday night to separate yourself from the world, to fellowship with God, and just to rest. Mm-hmm. And to remember that it's it's God who who able who's able causes us to be able to work from you know uh, Sunday through uh, Friday and be able to create wealth and all these different things. It's remembering our Creator, and it's not mm-hmm. a Torah principle; it's a creation principle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all yeah. of it's about Jesus, mm-hmm. and when it's done right, every year when I go through them, there, there, because there, there are things in it like you know during the spring feast, I don't, I don't hunt through my house to get rid of all the leaven out of my house. Mm-hmm. Mike Lake is hunting through his heart to get all the leaven mm-hmm. of Egypt out of mm-hmm. his heart. 
That's good. And the fourth piece, which is Prepina, which is the divine rehearsal of what we see in the book of Revelation, there's mm-hmm. those 10 days of awe where I'm making mm-hmm. sure there's nothing between me and God or, or even you and mm-hmm. I. And mm-hmm. I'm making sure that I'm, I'm I'm ready to meet my king, so it becomes a a, a cycle of sanctification when right. it's done exactly. the way that God wanted it to be done, and not not done as a legalistic way. Right. That That's these, it. There are these kinds of celebration, and, and uh, except for the Day of Atonement, which is a divine rehearsal of the Valley of Armageddon, it, mm-hmm. it it's all encoded there. And if you do it right, it brings you closer to Jesus. It doesn't take you away from Him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I like that. I think the thing that scares me is how people take what God intended to be his expression of grace and love and mercy in the revelation of the Torah and turn it into legalistic uh, situations where people um, break the law, whether it's one from God or one from they think is from God. And then the devil comes and beats them up with guilt and shame and condemnation and says, uh, you know, now I get to judge you, guilt, shame, condemnation, poverty, destruction. And people are living under a lot of demonic guilt and, and attributing, it, attributing it to God as being the one who is punishing them. Is that correct? Spiritual Warfare 101. The Holy Spirit will convict you, but he'll never condemn you. That's the right. The Holy Spirit, the moment that you sin, now the sin to this day, according to First John, and First John was actually one of the last books written in the, in the New Testament, he mm-hmm. still defines sin as the violation of the law. But mm-hmm. when he, he said, listen, guys, you're not, you're not doing it as a lifestyle. Now, before you found Christ, right. you know, mm-hmm. you, nobody has to go to school and learn how to sin. You know, it's, right. it's there. Yeah. Yeah. But and so you have left that lifestyle, you know, away. You, you you've entered into a new way of life, but mm-hmm. we all stumble. Mm-hmm. And he says, "Here's the great thing: when you stumble, the Holy Spirit will always make you run to Jesus, not away from Him. So that when you you do sin, and I, I love this in in First John, that in fact, let me let me read this real quick because this will help people. You know, some people envision Jesus like saying, "Oh." Mike, look, I can't believe you've come to, to my throne again, and here you have, you've stumbled, you've messed up, mm-hmm, and here, mm-hmm. here I go again, I'm, I'm going to have to forgive you. Uh-huh. Listen to what this says here in First John, uh, starting in, in 1 and 8. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not as all of us are going to stumble. If mm-hmm. we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Mm-hmm. Stop and listen. Just think of that for a minute. Not only is he faithful to do it, like, okay, here comes Mike for the 42nd time. He's still <laughs> stumbling over the same stupid rock. You yeah. know, it's like, I'm going to get him to where he can finally step over that thing and, and not trip over it. Mm-hmm. But what really jumped off the page is he considers it a just thing. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's just. Oh, son, just. when you run to the devil it's made right, you trip it's right for God to do it. It's right for God to come and forgive us again. It's right for us to come and ask for the forgiveness. So he is faithful well, and he is just. And, so forgiveness. We, yeah, he's, yeah he's, well, his justice requires that he forgives us. Well, it, it, his justice requires it, but he, he considers it a righteous thing. There's, there's, there's a justness to it that heaven rejoices, Jesus rejoices when, when you know, if the devil trips us up, man, I, I run to him with, with everything that I got, and I hit my knees and say, God, I can't believe I've, I've done this again. But he says not only 
is he faithful mm-hmm. and he considers it a just thing to do it at that mm-hmm. very moment he mm-hmm. cleanses us of all unrighteousness mm-hmm. yeah yes exactly what well, first john is a very interesting book and you know first of all too first john was written to believers and a lot of times people don't come to Jesus for the, they believe the lie that now that I've, I've come to the Lord, if I get saved, I've got to be perfect, got to be good, can't ever sin. Well, obviously, the Lord God knew that we would stumble um, after, you know, we come to him. But that's why he wrote this very prescription. He was writing it to believers, when you sin. And don't say you didn't sin and call me a liar. You know, admit it, come to me. And, you know, when you said stumble over the rock, I thought of, well, what about, what if the stone is in your shoe? You know, there's another problem, and I think that problem, you know, gives us a we we have a limp. We have a we don't run to God because it hurts because we think God's mean and mad at us and all of these other things. And the language in First John, we should talk about this next time, maybe too, uh, about chapter three where he says, um, "He whoever commits whosoever verse four commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifest to take away our sin, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin." Whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. And we know everybody's sinning. So in first first chapter, we know everybody's sinning. And now we're saying, uh, whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. Then he says, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness, as you refer to, is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, now you're scaring me again. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, and his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. Now, this is like sounding so contradictory to so many, you know, just a, a, just a simple reading of it. I'm in, I'm out, I'm sinning, I'm not sinning. What is it? Well, you know, and, well one also refers to a lifestyle. You know, that, you know when you get saved, you, you, you stop having that that horrible lifestyle and, and that that's not the desire of your heart right uh and so so he's dealing some things he's dealing with lifestyle and mindsets and some of it he's dealing with when you trip and fall uh or, and and you know I, th- I think for a lot of us as as, as believers you know the, the bible says that when i make jesus christ our savior life well even when we get the concept of new testament or brit hadashah comes out of jeremiah 33 which says that the moment I get saved, he's writing his commandments on my heart. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest struggle a lot of Christians have is my spirit or heart's right, but my head's wrong because all mm-hmm. the bondages, the taskmasters mm-hmm. of Egypt are still functioning between my two ears. Right. And that's, that's why repentance and renewing our mind to the Word of God is so mm-hmm. quintessential to Christian victory in, in our day. Absolutely, because I always call it the, the debate. It goes on between the soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions, and your spirit. And, of course, that the Holy Spirit is living inside of us. And, of course, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So we are God's project. God is working to reveal Jesus in us. He's working to um, perfect that which concerns us. And it says his seed remains in us, and we can't sin. So my bottom line on this is that from God's perspective, we're fine. He knows he's got it. We're, we're perfected. Where his seed remains in us, we cannot sin. From our perspective, we're still in process, and so um, we're not looking for an excuse to um, say, "Well, I'm fine. You know, I don't need any more." But really, to know that the Holy Spirit has taken over and following. Jesus said, "Follow me." He didn't say, "Be good." He said, "Follow me." So this is kind of how I see it: as as allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work of the Father uh, through the 
finished work of Jesus Christ and complete that work in us. Does that does that make sense to you? It does, and I think if we adjust our paradigm a little bit here, uh, mm-hmm. that if, if the devil causes me to stumble, it can mm-hmm. actually become his worst nightmare. Because mm-hmm. if he causes mm-hmm. me to stumble, I run to Jesus, mm-hmm. and I stay there and I cling to him, mm-hmm. then I've actually been brought closer to him than I was mm-hmm. before. Yep, exactly. It, 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 it's all understanding how kingdom works because, mm-hmm. it, you know, it, it takes time to renew the mind. And if you were active, and this, this is something that uh, neuro, um, uh, neuro oh, I, I have lost, yeah. neuroscience teaches us, mm-hmm. is that to go from bad habits to good habits or bad paradigms to good paradigms, it takes three years to mm-hmm. rewire your brain with constant mm-hmm. effort. You know, that's one of the reasons that after the Apostle Paul had the road to Damascus thing, he went back in, in, in the desert and he studied for three years. Mm, that's, that's when he that's when he was brought into the third heaven and he got the Pauline revelation and Jesus shares the gospel with him. But he studied for three years so that the Holy Spirit could rewire his his Pharisaic brain yeah, into functioning kingdom. And uh-huh. so, guys, you know, I think what we need to do is to say, listen, there is, there is a shiner directive out there that everything mm-hmm. of this yeah. earth is draw me away from God to get yeah. me playing exactly. these. Stupid mind games that take me out of the kingdom and, yeah. and get me to work misunderstanding the law, a misunderstanding grace, and the mm-hmm. law and grace are actually two sides of the same coin, just That's like right. grace and instruments are two sides of the same coin. And, and this your, your viewers or your listeners are going to really enjoy. When mm-hmm. I truly embrace the grace of God, mm-hmm. it allows God to judge the enemy that had me in bondage. The That's enemy right. has to be judged so that grace can be released in my life. But mm-hmm. when I refuse and allow judgment to come on me, that yeah. gives the devil a free ticket to keep operating. Exactly, because we've agreed with it, and God's hands kind of are tied because we've agreed with the lie. Yeah, exactly. Um, this is awesome. But, you know, going back to, uh, well, there's so much we've already covered today, and I know that, you know, I think we're, almost saturated, but it's all good. I like it a lot. Um, so one more thing I wanted to say, too, about forgiveness, it's the, it's the power that it's the, really the third uh, authority power that God's given us to bind, to loosen, to forgive. When we forgive someone who's hurt us, uh, you know, betrayed us, then we also become the devil's worst nightmare. Because yes. when we forgive them, we have released them from our judgment and turned the judgment of the crime over to God. So now God gets to sit in that place of judgment against the enemy who started and initiated that thing in the first place. And so forgiveness, it allows me the freedom of getting justice, really. And just like you said, it allows when, when the devil sets us up to get grace to operate in our lives, we need to come to Jesus and confess the sin. Otherwise, the devil still has that technical, legal hold on us because of the bitterness unforgiveness so it's like it's wonderful but it's so huge and most people like we go back to shine our directive they don't i think that's a, a primer tell us a little bit mike we're going to kind of wrap it up today because i know you got a book to write <laughs> bless your heart um and and so but you're going to be on with us next week so give us a, a couple of places that we can go to find out more about your your book your books your website your school uh where can we find you uh, the two main websites, the one for the school is www.biblical-life.com. And we, we have all the information about the school. You can download uh, the catalog and PDF. We also even have some sample things that you can download free. 
uh, even a couple seminars up there uh, under resources that you can download for free. A lot of what we're doing now with the Shiner Directive is at kingdomintelligencebriefing.com. Uh, we have a, a full page. Uh, there will be a tab, Shiner Directive. I've got a lot of interviews I've done where you can purchase the book. Uh, we also have a, a two free data DVD set. So they're not DVDs you, you watch, but it's information. The first one just basically helps you build your Christian library. Uh, the other data DVD has almost 100 hours of teaching that I have done along with uh, study syllabus in, uh, in PDF format that you can print out and, and actually do it like you're taking a college class that we give all the way free with the book. But also at Kingdom Intelligence Briefing, uh, we're, we're doing videos twice a month. We're also trying to do a podcast uh, every week. One, there'll be Mary and I teaching, which I'm just absolutely blown away at, at how the dynamic of Mary and I doing a podcast together. We call it M&M edition, but we don't sugarcoat anything. But the mm-hmm. dynamic actually shocked us mm-hmm. that the first time we did it after we after we you know, hit you know record is over. Her and I looked at each other and said, "I can't believe we haven't been doing this for years." Mm-hmm. Uh, so all those are available as well as new information that we're coming out in some new articles, uh, really to empower the church. We want to, the Bible tells us to expose the darkness. Yeah, and yeah. that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to expose the tactics of the enemy so that you can overcome. Mm-hmm. And so all that you'll find at kingdomintelligencebriefing.com. And could you say the first one again, Bible Life something? Because there was a little glitch in my headset, headset, and I'm not sure if others heard it as well. www.biblical-life.com. If you leave that hyphen out, you're going to end up at a, at a Korean site that's all in Korean. <laughs> <laughs> we'll know then that we got the wrong site, right? <laughs> That's right. Wow, that's also, if you end up on Kingdom Intelligence Briefing, there's links uh, to our shopping cart where we actually have some of the courses I've written that's available to everybody that's MP3 lectures, and there's links to the school and everything. They can navigate all that right from the uh, KID site. Awesome. awesome. Well, you've just done such a great job. I think we've we've opened a million uh, files here <laughs> on the computer. And can we think about all this stuff? But tell us a little bit about what you want to cover next week. Um, I think you're writing a new book. Can you give us just a little preview of what that would be and how we're going to talk about that next week? I think it needs to be the answer to the Shiner Directive. Okay. We, we, we need to understand that, and, and I'm calling it the Shirareth imperative, and Shirareth is one of the Hebrew words that's translated remnant. That in the last days, as as this Shinar Directive comes into ascendancy on planet Earth, God has a plan, and it's better. <laughs> yeah. Be better, man. If all the angels haven't even fallen yet, we're in trouble, <laughs> more trouble than we uh, want to be. I don't make light one, of it, but one of the promises I love is in Isaiah, where it talks about this gross darkness like never before encompasses mm-hmm. the earth. God says in the middle of that, your light's come, mm-hmm. and so That's for us. We're we're entering into a time that if we'll just if we'll just fall at the feet of Jesus and say just do your work in me I want to be like you I want to live for you awesome, I want to yeah. be free of any stench of Egypt and I, I want to be free on the inside on the outside I want to drive all the ice out of my spiritual territory. We do that we become the devil's worst nightmare because I do not believe the rapture and, and it, you know and people want to argue is it pre mid or post to me it doesn't matter when 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 Jesus says yo I'm gonna go you know and and that's <laughs> up to him. But I do not believe the rapture is to get us out of here before our heads get beat in. I believe that before the rapture, that we're going to have a perfected church, just like the Apostle Paul said, without spot or wrinkle, 
and we have grown as much as we can grow, and now we're ready for the wedding feast. And so God says, you know what? Before I can give the devil his comeuppance, I've got to lift you out of here for a short time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is even the days of all, the ten days of all between the Feast of Trumpets, which are the last trump shall sound, the dead in Christ mm-hmm. shall rise, mm-hmm. uh, those ten days of all where we actually have angels preaching the gospel because we're not going to be here. It's also the exact same time period a Jewish wedding lasts for 10 days. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Hey, we got to get to yep. that next weekend. You you know what you already said? I believe we're going to turn it to a prayer and agree that, that we will be that, that remnant, that bride, that Jesus Christ's life and spirit will be perfected in us by him. And Lord, Michael Lake and his family today and the days ahead. And for all the listeners, God, I pray that you just wrap this Help us to wrap our lives around this by your spirit, just infusing us with this understanding, this information and hunger for your word. Lord God, and those who are locked in all kinds of religious duties and activities and cults and legalism and law and trying to beat this thing down in their own strength. Father, I pray that they would be brought into the place of rest and revelation. And Lord Jesus, thank you. Bless Mike as he's writing this week, as he's you keep showing us stuff, Lord God. Cause us to be busy doing your work, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this has been so, so fun. I could talk to you forever, but I know you're writing a book, and and I know that you've given us such an awesome privilege to come and be on our show again next week. So um, blessings to you. If you want to, I don't know if you can put this on your website. I hope you do, because I think it was really helpful, exciting. Uh, So much stuff gets put into place. With your permission, I mean, because we dealt with so many things I don't normally get to deal with. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I I would like to broadcast it on our podcast if I can. Oh, absolutely. You go for it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we'll we'll talk to you again. And uh, all of you, we'll, we'll talk to you again next week. God bless you. I have an emergency. What is your location? 